Chapter Thirteen of the Lost Parchment by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Confession. Paralyzed by extreme fright, Mrs. Beetson stood as motionless as a stone image, staring blankly at her captors with open mouth and unwinking eyes. Her face was whiter than the dingy parchment of which she had been deprived and her breath came and went in short quick gasps which echoed audibly through the still night rupert looked at her for a moment and then turned away his head his manhood was shamed by the silent agony of the miserable creature carrington more hardened by experience stooped to the light and read this is the last will and testament of john hendel in vividly black latin lettering that was enough to assure him of the truth and rolling up the parchment he turned sternly on the panic-stricken woman you are a clever fool mrs beetson he remarked quietly clever in getting the will and hiding it so skilfully but a fool to examine so compromising a document here when the village policeman may pass at any moment the word policeman galvanized mrs beetson into life and action with a final gasp she suddenly became as it seemed conscious of her peril and bolted down the road and across the road she sped and was in the spinney before the two men could grasp the situation for a single moment they stared after the flying figure then simultaneously started in pursuit with terror-winged feet the housekeeper fled as swiftly as the wind and it was not until the brick wall encircling the park again loomed through the shadows that they caught up to her instinctively like a homing pigeon she made for the only place where she thought she would be safe much as carrington grimly thought after the fashion of a child who believes himself to be free from danger when smuggled between the blankets it was while she was fumbling with the lock of the postern that he laid a detaining hand on her shoulder with a terrified cry she dropped on her knees mercy mercy i am innocent innocent she wailed and hugged his legs in a frenzy of fear here get up said the barrister roughly pulling her to her feet come inside and explain yourself there's nothing to explain cried mrs beetson suddenly defiant and you are not my master i am more than your master i am the man who has found you out stated carrington in a hard tone and pushing open the postern walk in i tell you gently carrington gently said rupert sorry for the shaking woman who was desperate enough to say anything or do anything we can deal with this matter reasonably take my arm mrs beetson and come to the house you can no doubt give us an explanation i shan't give it to him muttered the housekeeper trying to control her shattering emotions what has he got to do with me i should like to know you are always a gentleman mr hindle and i wish you a better friend spying and prying watching and following call yourself a man do you ha ha call yourself a man god help the woman who marries you say i 
neither of the two made any reply to this aimless speech and babbling incoherently mrs beetson was led by hendel to the house fortunately none of the servants were in the entrance hall and when rupert opened the door with his latch-key mrs beetson swept in toward the drawing-room which was lighted up carrington and his friend followed close behind to find her seated in an armchair fanning her heated face with the hood which she had removed her color had returned and her self-possession so that she eyed the pair defiantly her attentions were mostly directed toward carrington and if a look could have slain him he would have dropped dead there and then come now said the barrister when the door was closed and the trio were alone what have you got to say to all this i shan't answer you snapped mrs beetson viciously you aren't going to bully me i think you had better answer said hendel sternly this is not the time to play the fool are you against me also sir i am advising you for your good as to being against you what attitude do you expect me to assume toward you seeing how treacherously you have behaved mrs beetson treacherously yes you listened to a conversation not meant for your ears and reported the same to mr mullen did he tell you so there was no need for him to tell mr hendel said carrington pointedly the mere fact that mr mullen knows about this will proclaims your guilt 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 repeated the housekeeper violently i shall thank you sir not to use that word in connection with me i shall use it don't be a fool woman you knew about this will before mr lee was murdered and you killed him to get it it's a lie then how do you explain your possession of the will what is your supposition demanded mrs beetson more like a judge than a criminal if you will have it returned the barrister smoothly i believe you murdered the vicar to get the will and having found it buried the same in that jungle then you made your terms with mr mullen and he agreed to give you an annuity of two hundred a year if you pass the will along to him when you thought that all was safe you went to dig the will up again and here it is carrington pulled the soiled parchment from his pocket where he had placed it for safety doubled up into a packet and shook it in her face mrs beetson changed from red to white and from white to red but maintained a scornful look you are talking nonsense she said briefly perhaps put in hendel quietly and we wait for you to talk sense i shall say nothing said the woman obstinately in that case i shall send for kensick and give you in charge you would not do that mr hendel indeed i shall do it within ten minutes if you do not speak out i can i can exonerate exonerate myself stuttered mrs beetson her dry lips scarcely able to form the words you had better do so to us advised carrington agreeably and if i don't she snarled turning on him then inspector lawson shall examine you what do i care when i know that i am innocent well carrington shrugged his shoulders it's your own affair 
ring the bell handle and send one of the servants down for kensick no don't cried mrs beatson when she saw her master walk toward the fireplace to touch the ivory button i can explain Hindle nodded and returned to his seat while carrington replaced the will in his pocket and waited for the confession mrs beatson wiped her face and glared at the two like a tigress at bay only the knowledge that she was driven into a corner made her speak out i overheard your conversation with mr leeser she said to her master ignoring carrington oh i didn't mean to you know i only listened as i thought you intended to discharge me when you married miss mullen and fancied you might explain yourself on that point to the vicar i understand but why did you report the conversation to my cousin mrs beatson looked down sullenly you don't know what it is like to be poor she muttered irreverently i am born a lady and through the fault of a spendthrift husband i am reduced to act as your housekeeper it is only natural that i should try and improve my position so when i learned about the will which would give your property to mr Mullen, i thought it wise to make money by speaking about it to him why not to me in the first instance because you are too honest burst out the woman raising her pale eyes if you got the will you would have made its contents public even though as mr lee stated you would lose all for that reason i had no hold on you and would never have got money from you by telling mr Mullen, i managed to extract a promise from him that when he came into the property he would give me an annuity of two hundred a year inquired carrington we did not mention any sum retorted mrs beatson but that was the amount i intended to ask and the amount which you told your son a mythical aunt was leaving you i had to give my son some reason for being possessed of the annuity hm said carrington with a shrug you haven't got the annuity yet and now you never will have i am not so sure of that after all if i hadn't told mr carrington the cousin of my master would never have known of his good fortune then the will really does leave the property to eunice filbert questioned rupert nervously i don't know i have not read the will come now said carrington contemptuously you don't expect us to believe that you must have read the will before you buried it i didn't bury it the barrister heaved a weary sigh and glanced at rupert as if to invite his attention to the way in which the woman was lying i don't know why you are wasting our time in this fashion said carrington sharply why can't you speak straightforwardly twisting and turning won't help you now you are in a corner and however you may fight you will not get out of it be frank mrs beatson and tell us how you killed the vicar mrs beatson rose white-faced and trembling holding on to the back of the chair as she replied i did not kill the vicar she insisted i would not do such a thing i haven't the nerve and i'm honest enough as people go only the sudden temptation to make money easily made me tell mr Mullen about the will but i did no more i wasn't near the vicarage 
and no one was more astonished than I was when I heard of the murder. "'Listen to me,' said Carrington, making a sign to Rupert that he should hold his tongue and leave the examination to him. The police could not find out any reason why the vicar should have been killed, because they knew nothing about this will. Kensick unconsciously hinted at the truth when he said that the papers and books in the vicarage study were all in disorder, as if some search had been made. I believe that such a search was made, and by you, for this will, after you murdered the poor man. It's a lie, screamed Mrs. Beetson savagely. How dare you sit there and tell lies about me? If it is a lie, said Carrington, quite unmoved by her sudden fury, how comes it that the will is in your possession? I dug it up. And how did you know the spot where it was buried? The letter told me. The letter? Rupert looked up surprised. What letter? Mrs. Beetson fumbled in her breast and, pulling out a torn envelope, threw it across the room into Hendel's lap. I got that this morning, she declared in sullen tones, and acted as it advised. As there is no name to it, I don't know who wrote it. Don't let Mr. Carrington get it. I trust you, sir, not him. Rupert picked up the envelope and examined it, while the barrister looked over his shoulder. It was directed to Mrs. Beetson, the big house, Barship, Essex and had evidently, judging from the postmark, been sent through the general post office of the metropolis. Having ascertained this, the young man took out a double sheet of tolerable good notepaper, upon which, in a backward, sloping hand probably disguised, were written a few lines to which no signature was appended. These intimated abruptly that the will of John Hendel was to be found buried at the foot of the sundial in the vicarage garden, and that Mrs. Beetson could find it by searching. While the two men read and re-read this anonymous letter, the housekeeper went rambling on. I intended at first to keep it and show Mr. Mullen when he returned, but then I thought, not trusting him, that if I had the will, I could hold it until he gave me a deed making safe the annuity I wanted. For that reason, I took advantage of your dining at the cottage, Mr. Hendel, to go and get it. I knew that the sundial was hidden among the grasses and shrubs of the vicarage garden, so there was no difficulty in finding the place mentioned. I did not think that you would return early from the dinner, and so left the thing until it was too late. I dug up the will easily, as it was only a little way underground and the earth was piled loosely over it. Then I came out and stopped at the gate to make sure that it was the will I had found. A silly thing to do, seeing that Kensick on his rounds might have caught you, said Carrington, returning to his seat. Now how much of this tale are we to believe? The whole of it, retorted Mrs. Beetson, distinctly amazed. It's the truth. Hm, said Carrington reflectively. It may be, but did you not send that letter from yourself to yourself? Me? Mrs. Beetson's voice leaped an octave. Hush, hush, said Hindle, hurriedly glancing at the door. You'll bring in the servants. 
i need hardly tell you that it is best to thresh out this matter among the three of us thus warned the housekeeper sank her voice and took refuge in the angry tears always a woman's last resort i'm so tired of being insulted she sobbed loudly ever since you came across me mr hindle that friend of yours has been taking away my character i rather think you have taken it away yourself by behaving so treacherously to me said rupert grimly however i don't agree with mr carrington that you sent that letter to yourself from yourself how could i sobbed mrs beatson when i haven't been near london and i'm not a conspirator it's a shame blaming me for trying to help myself why can't you leave me alone two men on to one woman you ought to go on your knees and beg my pardon this amazing view of the case extorted a contemptuous smile from carrington he had much experience in his profession of the fair sex and knew the marvellous way in which women extricated themselves from difficulties which would overwhelm a mere man logic as he was well aware forms no part of the feminine nature i shan't try to argue with you he said mildly for you would be sure to get the better of me but you have behaved very badly to mr hindle no i haven't i had a right to look after myself not at his expense he has always treated you kindly and well why shouldn't he demanded mrs beatson rolling up her handkerchief into a damp ball and dabbing her red eyes i have always done my duty i hope and at a small salary too i could get a better place any day then i advise you to look out for one said rupert astonished at the ingratitude you certainly shan't stay here what mrs beatson gasped and stared well why should you when you can be happier elsewhere i didn't say that i would and if you discharge me as i knew you would when you talked of marrying miss marlin i shall ask for one year's wages and a letter saying how thoroughly i attended to my duties i had no idea of discharging you until i discovered your treachery protested hindle sharply it's your own fault and mrs beatson's future can be settled later interrupted carrington at this point of the argument just now she must answer me some questions i shan't raised the woman furious at her humiliating position it's all your fault that i have lost my if you don't answer interrupted the barrister again i shall hand you over to kensick to be taken to lawson at tarhaven you wouldn't dare mr hindle wouldn't let you oh yes i should said rubik sternly i'm not going to play fast and loose with the law mrs beatson's sour face became gray and pinched i know nothing about the matter more than i have told you she cried greatly terrified at the prospect of being locked up i told mr marlin about the will and i dug it up when i got that letter when did you tell mr marlin asked rupert remembering how he had intended to put this question before and had not on the day after i overheard the conversation whimpered the housekeeper very much subdued when i was in london yes i went in the afternoon to the cottage 
Miss Mullen had gone to tea with Miss Tollers, and I saw Mr. Mullen. He told me to hold my tongue, and he would speak to you about the matter. Also, he said that if he got the property, he would give me an annuity. Did you tell him before the crime was committed? asked Carrington. Am I not saying so? shrieked Mrs. Beetson, virulently. I told him on the very same afternoon of the next day, and you know quite well that it was eleven o'clock of the same night that Mr. Lee was murdered, and no one was more astonished than I was. Had you any idea who murdered him? No. How should I have any idea? Have you any idea now? No, I haven't, unless it was the person who sent that letter. Who sent it? Mrs. Beetson stamped. What a fool you are, Mr. Carrington. You have the letter and know as much about the matter as I do. The barrister thought for a few moments, then turned his back on the angry woman to address Rupert. Do you think she is speaking the truth, Hindle? Yes, I do. Of course you do, cried the housekeeper, looking viciously at the pair. I am not accustomed to having my word doubted. Hold your tongue, or it will be the worst for you, said Carrington sharply. You have behaved very badly, and ought to be locked up. All the same, I advise Mr. Hindle to leave matters as they are for a day or so, until we examine this will and make inquiries as to who sent this letter. That letter is mine, cried Mrs. Beetson, stretching out her hand. Rupert put it into his pocket. It will go to the police if you don't hold your peace, he threatened, for strong measures were necessary in dealing with such a woman. I agree with Mr. Carrington. Go away and say nothing about anything, not even to Mr. Marlin. Do you hear? What are you going to do? Never mind. You know what you have to do. Rupert walked to the door and opened it. Now go to bed. Mrs. Beetson tossed her head and moved toward the door. She greatly wished to continue the conversation and defend herself. But a glance at Hindle's stern face made her change her mind. Never had she seen her good-tempered master so angry and so decided. Foolishly as she had talked, the woman was well aware that her position was a critical one. Therefore, she refrained from making bad worse. I'm going, and I'll say nothing, she snarled. But when you are turned out of this house... Please, said Rupert, nodding toward the hall. Beast, said Mrs. Beetson under her breath, lest the servants should hear. Both of you, beasts. And she sailed out of the room triumphantly having secured the last word, and so soothed her angry mind. Hindle closed the door and returned to Carrington. Take out the will and let us have a look at it, he said in a weary voice. Won't you wait until tomorrow? asked Carrington, glancing at him. This row has upset you. No, I want to see the will now. It may disappear again. Carrington took out the crumbled parchment from his pocket. Look after it yourself, then, and you can be certain that it is safe. All right, but let us look at it together. Move that lamp nearer. Carrington did so, and Hindle spread out the rustling sheets, three or four of them, as the will was tolerably long, 
it was written as wills of the early nineteenth century usually were on parchment in a clear scholarly hand the writing being excellently engrossed and excellently preserved the parchment itself was soiled and dog-eared blotched here and there with coffee-brown stains but it had suffered little damage during its hundred years imprisonment in the monument chest with carrington seated beside him the squire slowly read the faded brown writing and gradually made himself master of the contents when he came to the signature of the testator and the names of the two witnesses he drew a long breath and looked at the barrister in frank dismay it seems quite legal he said in a despairing voice quite agreed carrington so far i can't see anything wrong and john hendel by this rupert struck the parchment leaves all his property with the exception of sundry legacies to people now dead and buried to eunice hendel afterward eunice filbert and her heirs yes lee said as much frederick would have been disinherited had this will been produced in the year eighteen fifteen i wonder how it got lost frederick may have no he didn't interrupted the barrister sharply frederick knew nothing about it or he would have put it into the fire i expect john hendel made it or rather his solicitor did and then threw it into the chest where it was overlooked queer that the solicitor didn't mention it when the old man died perhaps he did said rupert sadly we know nothing of what took place at hindle's death save that frederick inherited and that there was no question of eunice coming into the property but the same is left to her and her descendants so mullen as her sole representative inherits will you dispute the will asked carrington anxiously no said rupert putting the document into his pocket it seems fair enough and i must act honorably when mullen returns i shall give it to him or rather i shall take it to our family lawyer along with mullen and lose the property my honor said the young man gravely is dearer to me than money End of chapter thirteen